I was the last man standing! Welcome again to the Vicious Circle. Sid, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's just jump right into it. Um, one of the things that we were talking about, and especially when we were hanging out and chatting before, it's how people react to you. You know, because uh, it'll come across, people are like, oh, he yelled at me. And it's like, what? No. So how do you, how do you react with that? How do you deal with that around here? Okay. You know, we were earlier at Walmart, and mm. you and I... <clears throat> Now, this is the thing. You, I was there, and I asked you this. You said, no, I wasn't offending anyone. But there, I'll tell everybody the story was we get to the lunch meat counter, and I asked the guy, I go, hey, man, can I get some lunch meat? He goes, oh, oh we don't have any lunch meat. And it's all the stuff in front of him. I went, <laughs> I said, dude, I'm not talking to you. So we walked on, and I saw the manager. I said, sir, uh, y'all, you guys got lunch meat? Uh, what do you mean lunch meat? You know, like turkey, ham, <laughs> Oh, yeah, we have that over there. I said, but I need a slice. Oh, yeah, we do that. Well, evidently, he got in trouble. The guy did. Or, you know, when we got over there, oh, did the he? girl was cutting the meat up real fast. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> I asked you, I said, was, I, was that me? The girl at the counter said, these guys didn't know what they're doing. Um, but the guy act like I insulted him. You know what I <laughs> mean? Yeah. Now, I asked you, you said, no, did I say anything wrong there? Not a thing. No, you were literally asking for lunch meat story um a couple of weeks ago i'm at the store of town getting a drink and um the drink wasn't right i, I said something to the lady that one of my drinks the cap the taps weren't right and um left and says let's say something to the manager the manager thought i was trying to steal the drink you know because i said something about it <clears throat> so the next day my kid says i heard you gave us cuss this lady out there about a drink all right no man <laughs> so Next time I was in the store, I was getting something. I asked her, Savannah, did you tell my son that I cussed you out? She goes, well, you did. And she slammed her hand <laughs> on the counter. She said, you said, damn. I said, I want you to prove that to me. I want to see that on a film. I said, and the other lady goes, no, we can't show you. We can't do that. I said, well, ma'am, you are a damn liar. <laughs> Everybody was mad at me over that. But still, like you said, you, there was nothing wrong with what you no, were doing. No, I didn't. I didn't say anything the first time. But, um, people say that I'm loud even when I'm quiet. You know okay. what I mean? Well, okay. Sid is larger than life, so maybe that does come across as aggressive to people. But like I said, hanging out with you, talking with you, it's there's nothing aggressive, right? You know. So how, how is it like then here in, in your hometown? How do you people react to you? Well, I've lived here my whole life, so they don't think anything about that. Actually, sometimes when someone doesn't know me or thinks I'm just passing through, I'll tell them, no, I live here, and they won't believe that. Really? I'll say, no, I live here. <laughs> no, you don't live here. Yeah, I actually live here. Yeah, you haven't left this area much at all, just for work. That was it. You know, when we came in from Walmart, that big building i told you used to be the old mary motel that's where i lived when i was five years old 
this used to be a river town a long time ago, and that slough behind me, behind my house over here, that used to be the Mississippi River. Oh. Before, before the earthquake. That's right. You did say that. Right. So, I mean, you can actually see through the trees where I you know, was raised. In between that and here, just across the old Mississippi River, man, the ditch. Oh, I think it's awesome that you, you still are a hometown guy. Like, you haven't gone very far. No. Uh, I took a trip and never left the farm. <laughs> there we go. Well, let's talk more about the farm for a minute here. Or I guess the trip. Right. Um, we were talking about WCW and uh, the injury that you had. Okay. Now, that did take a long time to come back. Right. And it says here that the first big pay-per-view you were at was Clash of Champions, June 1990. And that was against Luger. Do you remember much of that? Me, honestly, I really don't. Um, I don't think Clash of Champions was, it was a pay-per-view. Maybe I was wrong on that. Clash of, oh, my God. No, you're right. Clash of Champions was the uh, counterpart to Friday Night Event or Friday Night Superstars or something. No, from- I, no I should remember this, but I don't. I think Clash of Champions was always a build-up. And I think this Clash of Champions was a build-up for um, Halloween Havoc, which I faced Sting. I could be wrong. That could be right. Right. But it does have you against Luger for that. Right. And again, it could have, we did some of those Clash of Champions stuff. I can't remember every one of those. Well, and actually, too, we were talking, uh, you did the first, uh, your first WrestleMania. You remember it as a show. I really do. Um, when people, years after that, someone would say, how was WrestleMania? I said, was I on WrestleMania? <laughs> now, I do remember some parts that were, of course, I was already the hated guy there. And I guess I must have said WrestleMania or something like that. And they had a big signs over it. Till said, just say Mania. You know? <laughs> well, how does that go? Because you go from town to town, from building to building. You know, it must get hard remembering what was at what building. No, you don't. I, I mean, I don't remember other than, I mean, I remember the building like Madison Square Garden or we were in New York doing, uh, what, you know, there's several buildings you do in each city. You're in the same building all the time, but. I knew about them, but really wasn't ever sure how to get to them. Okay. You know. Well, I remember when we were talking, too, because we were trying to figure out up in Canada where you were. And it's like, well, where's Maple Leaf Gardens? Toronto. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right. So you know the buildings. Right. Well, there, even that place, you know, they changed buildings so many times. You started in a smaller building, and as the company got bigger, you found the bigger, bigger buildings, and then they got new buildings. And that's, you know, sort of the attraction. I mean, that's sort of like, wrestling and basketball and things like that. They'll take advantage of those new buildings because people come out to the building at first. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? So, um, and everyone takes advantage of that, but no, we're up in every building, man, from the old, uh, LA Coliseum, which was a, it was a horrible little uh, crap hole. Really? Yeah, man. It was, a, I mean, the people were hard. I don't remember having a worse crowd than the LA fans. Really? Now you went to the uh, Staples arena, it was really going on. It just I don't know the people at the old Coliseum were like you couldn't, you could cut someone's head off and they wouldn't care. <laughs> they were that into the show, not into it, just did not care. I don't know why they came. Oh, oh, I see. I'm so sorry. I was thinking the other way. No, really? Yeah, L.A. They've seen everything. You know? It's Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, now when you were introduced back into WCW, they put you in a group. And a rather famous group at that. How did how did the story come about that you decided like you got to join the Horsemen? You no, know, 
best I can remember about that is, um, you know, Ole and that I think Ole started that four horsemen thing. You all right? Oh yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Too much. Food. And then this is when Ole was the booker, and the, and that's a really cool group of people. And so those are one of those things. As soon as you start it up, it's going to get success and had success, and whoever gets put with that is probably going to have success. So I mean, I just remember that being a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, when you first came out, you were like the enforcer almost because you were like the muscle. Right. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that was because they were coming up on, a, on an event where RoboCop was going to be included. Right. Is that true? I don't I remember RoboCop being a part of that, but I don't remember that being the reason. I don't remember being in an angle with RoboCop. I want to say, too, Rob, as much as I remember about that is that RoboCop was so protected that they wouldn't even bring him out in front of people. It was really, I, I can't imagine that ever being part of something. You know, so I don't, I remember this about it. Is I, that's one of the few shows my son Frank had ever been to, and he wanted to go there just to see RoboCop. Oh, really? Yeah. So he came, my wife came. Well, see, and that's, I'm, I cannot remember that ever happening. And I, I don't know if it's traumatic because it was bad or right. I'm. I just remember the thing about RoboCop. It was, again, he was, he only came out for a minute and he didn't want to be touched. He was a little, RoboCop was a little bitty thing, you know, a little bitty guy. So, <laughs> One of those sharp people. Yeah. So, <laughs> but no, it was cool. That was, you know, sort of WCW's first cool thing doing something like that that was a major promotion crossover yeah big time big time crossover and i think when i look back on it people were complaining about it really yeah you know some of the guys were like well this isn't supposed to be in wrestling oh okay we're just copying vince believe it or not there was that stigma where wcw didn't want to be do anything other than wrestling stuff you know that was their deal and vince them had the show biz you know that i can see and then, of course, when WCW does this RoboCop bit, that's pulling into the showbiz. Right. Okay. You know, we all were. I remember being reluctant to change. I remember Vince had a concept, which it didn't work, where they started doing TV tapings and, um, like, go-go clubs where there should be a go-go dancer in, you know, where they sit around places, you know, in New York City. Interesting. Yeah, and, uh, of course... We were all against it, and we all said it wouldn't work, and for some reason it didn't work. But I remember doing a couple of those shows. Now, that would be very... Yeah. That pulls the attention away from the ring, wouldn't it? You know what? I wasn't watching the ring. <laughs> so, um, in WCW, you got into the, the Horsemen. What was the relationship like when you got into the Horsemen? Like, because then I imagine the group had been around for a while. So, and you like, like you said, people don't like change sometimes. Right. They definitely didn't like this change. And, um, Arn was super nice to me. That was the one time I got to learn a little something. You know, Arn took me, taught me how to do a little bit of an interview. But I remember things like this again, you know, this was after Eddie. I'm sort of to myself now. No one's holding my hand any longer. Ole was, but not in that degree. I mean, I know I had Ole behind me. He was the boss. So all I had to do is do what I wanted to, but then I wasn't ever going to impose on someone or try to get ask someone to help me. And I remember being in all these matches with them. They'd have all these spots between each other, and I didn't want to impose on them, so I wouldn't have a spot. You know, 
So I'd just sit on the apron, you know, not all the time. But then Arn would get me in, give me a spot, you know, stuff like that. But it wasn't easy. Yeah, it's a tough little group to break into. I can see that. Right. And that's the one thing I did want to ask because you had credited Arn for helping you with the mic skills. Right. What kind of stuff did he, like, what kind of... Uh, well, in the beginning, he, I remember this. He said, okay, Sid, think of something. He would come to me with something like, say something like 15 seconds. He would tell me what to say. And then I'd say that for 15 seconds. That he'd go, Sid, and I'd go, yeah, this, blah, blah, you know, whatever I said. And then the next time he'll say, say this. And then next thing you know, I was ad-libbing like everyone else, you know, like hitting a rhyme, you know. So it went to being really uncomfortable to being comfortable. So he was doing the first did that for me nice um now for that uh your first big match with the horseman was a six tag a six-man tag at great american bash and it's interesting because i i brought this up too because that's the when they introduced vader for the first time in the wcw right do you remember that night i do a little bit if i think i remember right about that is you know his had this costume that blew up shot rockets out or something like that and it was it came from japan and as he walked to the ring it's supposed to explode and stuff well it always malfunctioned you know and that was the first time i said leon be leon he got mad started throwing stuff around but no um the, it was really cool and uh I, at first it was i was gonna say i can see it being cool but who's who thought putting explosives on a person's suit was a good idea well that came from japan and if you've seen so i haven't that's the first time I ever saw anything like that. But I have heard of those kind of things before. True. Right. So this was like my first time of seeing it. So I thought it was really cool. And uh, I thought Leon was cool, too. Was that the first time you actually met him? I think so. Yeah. Um, what was your thought then, well, like, other than the exploding costume? What was your thought of him and how he wrestled? And I knew his reputation. He came. You know, this thing is when like, someone like him would come in, him, Steve Williams. Dan Spivey, these Japan guys, you know, they always had a little mystique to them. Like, you know, Japan was a little tougher, a little rougher. And Leon was well known. <clears throat> you know, he got over in Japan. That means he had to be pretty rough and tough, too. You know, so that's what you thought about him. Okay. And I didn't bother to look. Your um, man, you're, you had a six man tag. Do you remember much about that match? I don't. I'm sorry. I don't. That's yeah. No, no. Like I said, there, you, this is the first time anybody has stubbed me on questions. <laughs> this is good. Well, and see, I can understand though, because you have done so many matches, and I'm looking at a list of 250 plus, and those are just the ones that were televised. Right. You throw into there all the house shows you did. And it's like, so it, it does not surprise me. That's why I brought them up, and I'm wondering what you remember yeah, about these that's things. Cool, man. Well, then we get into <clears throat> Halloween Havoc. This one I know you remember. Right. How did this match all start? Well, it started at one of those clashes. You know, I think we were <clears throat> doing pay-per-views every three months. So it would give four a year, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So I think it started at one of those clashes where I think that's when Stan Hansen jumped Lex, <clears throat> kicked him down the ground, and actually spit tobacco juice in his mouth. Oh. And then um, I think that's where I started my angle with Sting. I can't remember how we started it. And then that's when I went and working these, all these shows with Lex, you know. <clears throat> but I remember starting it there, and I remember this, that Ole came to me and said, every interview 
you end, you tell them you're going to be the next world champion. So I'm just doing what I'm told to do. And <clears throat> Rick Flair came to me at one of the TV tapings, I think, in Gainesville and said, he said, I wouldn't be saying that because uh, if a heel says that and loses, it could be the end of his career, which that don't make any sense to me. But, no. I, but I said, um, well, Rick, man, I can understand that. I said, but I'm being told to say this for some reason. You know, so I'm just doing what I'm being told. Uh, never thought I was winning the belt. Just, just, and I figured it was a you know, way to sell tickets, you know. So when we got to the event, <clears throat> we got there and Oli pulled me to the side said, for the match, he said, have your match, get your heat on him. And I was come back, stop him. There was a notorious door at the UIC Pavilion Center that everybody came in and out. That's where he got transformed at. And um, throwing through the door, as he's coming back to the ring, you were being in the ring, he comes into the ring, rolled him up, one, two, three, you're the champ. He'll be selling his head like he's hurt. I said, okay, you know, whatever you're supposed to do here, you know. And then, so we did that. And as I went down, rolled him up, it was Barry Wyndham dressed as Sting. Now, Barry tells people, and Barry tell me that, that people tell me that Barry says this, that, he, he, that that didn't happen, that I don't know what I'm talking about. Now, <clears throat> I would have no reason to say this if, I, if this exactly, exactly didn't happen the way I'm saying it. Um, and I remember this when I wrote him up. He said, something, hey, thanks. Roll me up, kid, one, two, three. I wrote him up. He was leaving. I'm thinking, okay, they're going to say that I cheated somehow and Sting wasn't here and blah, blah, blah. So I took the belt. You know, of course, you always go to the wrong side. You go where the people are, not the camera. And I turn my back to the camera and I'm raising the belt up and I hear this unbelievable roar. I went, wow, man. <laughs> this guy's really like me, too, now all of a sudden. So this comes with this belt. And I turn around, the referee's there. He's dragging the belt out of my hand and said, take the Stinger's flash, one, two, three. <laughs> now, to me, while well, that was so fun, because I didn't know anything about that, and that's what we're we don't have in the business anymore. Now, that's the way I remember it happening. Okay, now I think you got some question about coming up about the Night Stalker. There is one. <laughs> All right, so remind me where we stopped right here, and I'll tell the other side of that about the Night Stalker. Okay, absolutely. So now this is what you categorize as your favorite match for right. that reason. For that reason. And we always were taught this. That if you fooled the boys, you fooled the people. Now, real quick, what I was told happened there was Ole was um, going to make me world champion. And whoever came down to him said, no, you're not going to. He might be already on his way out, too. And they're like, you're not going to change the belt right before you leave and all this stuff. He was doing some Black Scorpion thing, which he didn't know where he was going with it, or I don't know, guys weren't cooperating with him with, but um, he knew he was on his way out, so he didn't change that. And I figured that's what happened. And I was told that's what happened, that they just decided not to do it. You know, I didn't care. That one minute, I had a great time. No doubt. Do they count that as a title held? I do. You do? <laughs> I do, because it makes five, and four is unlucky to me, but five is my lucky number. Five's kicking. I mean, 15 is my lucky number, 25, whatever. But, um, yeah, five's kicking. Perfect. And now Barry Windham says he wasn't part of that? He says, when I, I guess when I told him my version of that, and he said, either he doesn't remember that part or I don't remember this part. But, I mean, 
I remember because what had happened was the night before that, Kevin Nash and this guy named Corey started the, the Master Blasters where they had these Mohawks. They started off so terribly where the first show they did at the Clash of Champions, the dude messed the headbutt off the, off the top rope and they pinned the guy anyway. And uh, since then, it just went downhill. They were working with Mike Rotunda and Tim Horner and got to end the match. Rotunda wouldn't even do a victory roll, just tagged the guy, and they just going to mess up every spot. So in the, coming into Chicago that night <clears throat> for the pay-per-view, I was giving him a hard time going, Corey, do an interview, and he couldn't do one. And ended up w- woke up the next morning, and he's taking a bus back to Iowa. So we get to the building. First thing I think, I'm in trouble. You know, with Ole, because I just ran this guy out of here, and he went back home, and they supposed to be on this pay-per-view. And so we got there, and Ole came up to me, and I said, man, I didn't do anything. He goes, don't worry about that. You did me a favor, you know. But then I remember that, too. I would have uh, made that up. Because well, uh, the research I did, it states on a couple different articles it was Wyndham that you rolled up. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. And no one told me that until right then. Uh, no one came to me before that. You know, what I was told is he took time off. He did lose some weight, and he, for that one moment, that's what that was for. Now, that used to happen in our business quite a lot. They used to set things up where you were totally surprised, didn't see that coming. Now, what it was when those things happen and you don't take advantage of them, then they don't get noticed or they don't get used the right way. Okay. And that happens a fair bit. Right. I've seen that over the, over the years where things happen accidentally in the ring. Right. And sometimes those are the best things. Oh, yeah. You could use them for wicked angles. Right. But, okay. Well, so Clash of Champions is your favorite? That's... Yeah, that's one of my favorite moments because I was totally fooled, blind, you know, just blindsided. And, um, but for that moment, that was for that, one, you know, for that one minute, that was a cool one minute, you know. And you got to hold the belt. I got to hold the belt. <laughs> okay. Well, on that moment, we're going to stop and get a question and get ready for the next episode. Good deal. And it's time for our question now. Right now we have Michael from Michigan. Michael, what have you got for us? So uh, I just want to know how Sid came up with the idea of the podcast and uh, where, the, where the ideas come from. I mean, how did they get going? Well, the ideas come a lot from Rob and stuff, but how the podcast or got going was simply was um, to promote my book that's coming up. And what it was is for the years, I've never had anything to do with the Internet or social media and stuff like that. And the reason being is because I was told that it was, uh, in the beginning, it was just mostly like a dirt sheet that we understood. And I was always told not to read those. And so, you know, stay sane in this business. That's one thing you do not do is read those things. So I never looked at anything on this online stuff until recently. And we were, again, trying to write this book and we'd hand in it a 15 page, what they asked for, that was called the first chapter, the WWE publishing company. And we said it in, it was just talking about a kid playing wiffle ball. And they called me back and said, well, do you really think that much of yourself? Uh, and I asked the dude, I said, are you, are you kidding me? I never mentioned my name in those 15 pages to talk about a kid playing wiffle ball. And so I said, hold on a second, something's going on here. So to get things like that, you know, maybe addressed and then get, you know, I hear how people are saying that they did this or they, I did this and, and the, it's not even the same country. I want to get a few of those things straight. I figure, um, so I'm going to make an attempt to do this social media stuff. And 
Um, while we're calling this the vicious circle, we're trying to be honest about these things. We're going to have fun. Uh, Rob, I'm having a great time with him. And every once in a while, this jerk shows up called Internet Sid. And, man, he really gets everybody going. Oh, he gets them fired he up. Get, he's fired up. He's sort of a – I don't know, guys. I don't agree with him. But uh, he's fun to listen to sometimes. So we're going to have that going. And then we're going to um, – Rob and I, we're going to – we're taking one step at a time in this podcast. Everything's new to me. He's coming here to my house. This is the second time he's driven down from Canada, 15-hour trip something like that one way um i'm getting familiar with these laptop things these i know that sounds crazy but i'm starting to do that well i'm both feet in right now and this is our second episode our second taping and um we've got a lot of things we're looking forward to we're already talking going about video stuff like that and um so i guess to answer your question really simply to promote a book and then after just listen to a few minutes of it, maybe get a few stories straight, and then maybe start up a few stories with old Internet Sid. <laughs> Watch for Internet uh, Sid. I, I think it's going to be. I think it's awesome that you're doing this. I think uh, you know us fans who've been following your career for years are really going to love the stories you tell us. Well, I'm hoping so because whenever I've done anything like this before, or, you know, if I stop and talk to a wrestling fan, or sometimes Rob and I are talking, Rob's got a extensive background and memory for this business. He'll tell you, I think I come across a little different than most of these guys. Um, one thing people always ask me is, wow, how, do, how have you been able to keep your feet on the ground? And really, Rob will tell you, he's here at my house. Um, I, I'm only 15 miles from where my great-grandfather brought up, where I was brought up. Um, never, left the, never left the farm, guys. Um, and that's really how it's, it's the funny this, about my story about this business, how I got into it. I truly was just this country kid over here thrown into this business. I, I think maybe one morning while I was crossing 40 and Interstate 55, you know, going hunting one morning as a kid, I think I fell in that vortex and somehow got on that expressway, and that's where I got into the business, I think, one morning. I'll go into that some other time. But, again, I, I'm just I'm having a good time with it. I know. I'm you know, excited. We're going to have a good time listening to it. I, I know I am. I'm, I'm, I'm so geeked. And... Uh, uh, where, where's the podcast going to be? How can we hear the podcast? I mean, you know, where can we hear it at? Or, you know, how can we get a, how can we get downloaded? Well, as you probably know, because you're listening to it, but it's going to start on a site called the Electronic Media Collective, and they're hosting the site, and they're hosting You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.